Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, grateful to be with everybody. If you missed the, the top half of our service, my name is Jose. I'm the campus pastor here for our West Palm congregation. And it's just a delight and an honor to, to serve this congregation in this capacity. If you missed last week, we started a series that we're calling Who Cares? Um, and we're planning to really dig deeper into the heart of Christ, the compassion of Christ for the lostness in our world. And really, Going off of Paul's own discovery about who he believed God was after a lifetime of ministry experience, we've adopted his words in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4 as our theme verse for the series, which states, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So there's a dual purpose there. God comforts us not just so that we can keep his comfort, but so that we can show compassion and that we can comfort others who are in need, who are in need of comfort. Last week, our, our initial week where we teed up the series, we, we started off by reading Luke 15. And, and in Luke 15, Jesus gives us a series of three parables describing three things that were lost, a sheep, a coin, and a son. And really, we saw that um, God cares about lost people. He cares about the lostness in our world. And he primarily, he could see the world as between good and bad, right and wrong. But according to these parables that Jesus gives us, God sees the world between lost and found. And the question really isn't, are you a good person? (laughs) Are you a good person? It's really, have you been found? Have you been found by Jesus? And so as I was preparing for today's sermon, I was reminded about something that I learned just a few years ago when I lived in Miami. Many of you may know that I I grew up in Miami, and uh, I actually ended up doing my schooling in West Palm Beach, though, and I commuted for for two years. You guys know a lot of that story. What I maybe haven't told everybody is that my greatest fear in those two years was getting into a car accident on I-95. Can anybody relate with me? Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you, the Lord protected me during those two years. I did not get in any accident. Praise the Lord Jesus. I came very close, very close. And here's how it happened. I was approaching exit 70 there on Okeechobee, and there's kind of a turn, and I was, and I was looking to, to, to kind of get closer to the right lane. I think there's like six lanes at that point in the I-95, and I was on the left, and I'm trying to get to the right, and I'm looking in my side view mirror, and I don't see a car. So I put on my, I'm not like a good Miami because Miami people don't use their, their lights, you know, the indicators. I put my signal on. I, I, I'm a good, I'm a good Miami driver. There we go. Thanks, Gene. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Gene. Uh, so I put on my, my turn signal and I start going to the right and all of a sudden a car starts honking ferociously at me. 
like five, six times, and I'm like, oh my goodness, and I swerve back onto my lane, and just in a moment's notice, that car just kind of zooms past me, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that car was in my blind spot, and I could have gotten into a huge wreck that day. I mean, how many of you have ever been astonished just at the moment that you realized, wow, there is somebody in my blind spot, my goodness, I mean, that is a scary moment that none of us want to be in. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Let me just posit this. What if we, as Christians here in the United States, what if we have a blind spot? What if we have a blind spot in our faith? What if there's something that we're missing, that we're looking, we're looking, and we're missing all together? See, last week we referenced the spiritual needs of our world how God cares and meets those spiritual needs. But Jesus met physical needs as well. And would we be totally out of the loop, really, if we were not to say we need to meet the physical needs of this world as well? What if Jesus not only cares about sharing the gospel, but about sharing food to the hungry and water to the thirsty and clothes to those who need And what if those two things, the spiritual needs and the physical needs as a body of Christ, meeting them in the world, what if those two things are actually inseparable according to Jesus? See, I I think that sometimes we have something in our blind spot here in the U.S. Maybe not something actually, but someone. And Jesus calls them the least of these. And so I'd like for everybody to turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to read from 31 to 40. Matthew 25, 31 to 40. It's going to be on the screen, on the COH app, or you can follow along on your Bible. Jesus says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, He will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and close you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, 
we're so humbled by your words. Lord, how often we have stumbled across the least of these. And for one reason or another, Lord, we haven't extended the hand. So Jesus, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your grace, knowing, Lord, that you're not here to simply condemn us or judge us, but actually to help us grow. You're here to draw us closer to yourself. And so we ask that you would speak to us in this very moment and that you would guide us through this journey that we call faith. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Now this this passage that we just read, there's a lot going on. It's, it can seem like a pretty, a pretty daunting passage, actually. There's, Jesus talks about sheep. He's talking about goats. He calls himself the son of man. I mean, he says all these things. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, let's, let's just kind of bring it in real quick, and then we're going to continue into, into what Jesus wants us to know here. Um, so really, this, this passage of Scripture is on the tail end of a portion of Scripture called commonly known as the Olivet Discourse. And it really spans two chapters, Matthew 24 through 25. And it gets its name from Matthew 24, 3, the beginning of the discourse where Jesus um, is sitting on the Mount of Olives. And here's what it says, Matthew 24, 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. And they said, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. And so in response to this question that the disciples bring forth to Jesus, the Olivet Discourse, these next two chapters, 24 and 25, from which we're reading, the the topic, the theme that Jesus is getting at is the end times, his second coming. And I see some eyes opening because end times is like a favorite topic around a lot of people. Yes, it is. That was supposed to be funnier, but okay. (laughs) I thought it would be all good. I'm trying to learn my dad jokes here. There we go. Um, Anyways, within the sequence of the scripture, there's a motif of Jesus' ultimate rule or or judgment, in a sense. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge the nations. That sounds sounds a little terrifying, doesn't it? I mean, you kind of read that and you're like, what is... I mean, Jesus is going to judge me? He's going to judge the nation? Sounds real harsh. But I want us to think about it just for a second. Imagine a world with no justice. Just picture that. Imagine a world where nobody is held accountable. Imagine that. What sounds scarier? A world where God is judge and brings judgment or a world where there is no, there is no uh, balancing of the scale, so you will. I think we know which one is scarier. Jesus is coming and it's actually a manifestation of God's kindness to our world, to restore all creation, to bring justice, to bring peace and restore a right relationship with with his creation. I mean, that, that is the hope that we hold on to as the church of Jesus. But beyond all this, Jesus in this final section, what he's really doing is letting us in on his heart. He's letting us in on what he values the most and what he wants to see out of his followers, and what he would like to see us live out here on earth. And so he does this by telling us that there's going to be a test, or really the final test when he comes back. In other words, as 
Olga explained, he's going to separate the nations, as the, as the scripture says, between the sheep and the goats. In other words, those who pertain to God's kingdom and those who do not pertain to God's kingdom. Now, we've got all the kids in here today, right? How many of you kids like taking tests? Anybody? She likes taking tests. I admire you. I admire you. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I am not the greatest test taker, and I never really looked forward to taking tests. But I will take any test that I know what the material's on and that I know that it's coming. Let's say Friday there's going to be a test. But I will not take a pop quiz. I hated, abhorred pop quizzes in high school, middle school, high school, elementary, whatever you want to call it. Just not knowing that there was a quiz that day and bam, the teacher comes and gives you a quiz. I mean, that's the worst, isn't it? That's the worst. And so if for all the teachers in the room feel a contrite heart around that, I want you to, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Not really. Um, we're having a good time, aren't we? Uh, but I, here, I remember when I was in high school, I, uh, there was this one English teacher who I, I absolutely loved. She probably was one of the greatest uh, motivations for me to, to really grow in my, my capacity with the English language and reading and so on and so forth. But man, she was a tough teacher and she would assign a lot of reading. And so here's the, here's the thing though. She would not always check if students were doing the reading. So, I wanted to be a good student. I would do my reading. I would try to keep up to date until one day things were very busy and I decided, ah, she she hasn't checked in a while. I'm just going to, I'm just going to skip this one chapter for tomorrow. I'm just going to, okay. Well, next day comes in and she walks in with a pop quiz. And guess what? I failed. Yeah, and it's like one of those that only have four questions, so you miss one, you're already at a 75, you have no hope, you know, <laughs> you have no hope. And so I failed that test, and it kind of felt a little bit unfair because I had done all my reading, but you know what, that's how life works. Lesson for the kids, do all your homework. <laughs> do it, because you never know when a pop quiz is coming. But on the other hand, like I mentioned, I mean, the best teachers, my favorite teachers really, they tell you when the test is coming. It's going to come on Friday. And here's the material. Study for it because I want you to pass. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying there's a test coming. And he's saying, I want you to pass. And he's really telling us what the test is on. Let's take a look at it one more time just for context in Matthew 25, 34. We're going to read to verse 40 just to have it fresh in our minds. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me, Jesus said. So let's just take a step back though. 
Jesus is not saying that we're going to be saved by our works. In other words, Jesus is not saying that it's your almsgiving to the poor. You're taking care of people. That That's exactly what's going to get you a right relationship with God. That's, that would be actually a misinterpretation of the passage. Remember, the Bible interprets, interprets the Bible. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. What Jesus is actually saying is that the compassion that we show to who he calls the least of these is evidence, the key word there, is evidence of the heart of Christ in us. Our compassion to those in need is evidence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit residing in our heart. And so because of that, here's what we believe at Community of Hope. We believe God calls all Christians to show compassion to those in need and to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. I'm going to read it one more time. God calls all Christians to show compassion to those in need and to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. And this is so essential to being a follower of Jesus that Jesus himself says that this is one of the main evidences, really, that he's going to look for in those who call themselves followers of him. Pastor and author David Platt, he writes this concerning this topic in his well-known book, Radical. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it to you. He says this, according to Jesus, you can tell someone is a follower of Christ by the fruit of his or her life. And that involves material concern for the poor. Caring for the poor is one natural overflow and a necessary evidence of the presence of Christ in our hearts. If there is no sign of caring for the poor in our lives, then there is reason to at least question whether Christ is in our hearts or not. And you might think he's being a little bit rough, but actually, if you read the passage, I mean, that's spot on. That is spot on. Now, let's let's take one step further. Okay, and let's ask this question. Who are the least? Who are the least of these that Jesus is talking about? So on, on the one hand, Jesus, he's saying the hungry, the thirsty, those, the stranger, those in need of clothing and shelter, the incarcerated. But I want to make this a little bit more personal with, with our world today, if you would allow me to do that. Um, so here's, here's just a little bit of data for us to wrap our minds around the least of these Did you know that more than a billion people in the world live on less than $1 a day? About 3 billion, by the way, there's about 7 billion people in the world. About 3 billion people live on less than $2 in the world. And between 12 and 20% of Americans, they live below what's called the poverty line, which is about $31,000 a year per, I think, the 2020 statistic. Here's some other data to help us wrap our minds around this. Uh, The World Health Organization reported in 2019 that around one in three people globally do not have access to safe drinking water. An estimated 300 million people are so poor they can't even afford shoes, something that you and I probably take for granted every day. An estimated 58 million children do not have access or the opportunity to receive an education because they're so poor. The UN reports that hunger 
Now about the, the topic of hunger. The UN reports that hunger and under, undernutrition are actually the greatest healths to global public health, killing more people than HIV, AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. That's an incredible statistic. Each day, about 25,000 people, including more than 10,000 children, will die from hunger and related causes. We don't, but we don't even have to go. Sometimes we think about that and we, we think different continents, third world countries. I want us to actually, if you bring it back home, there's about 17 million children estimated in our country, the United States, that are struggling with hunger today. That is shocking. So the least of these are the the least rich, the least powerful, the least resourceful, the the least popular, whom we often call the poor and the marginalized people on the extremities. And I think when we come to know things like these, our hearts break. It's just inconceivable that people in our world today, in the 21st century, live in these sort of conditions. But here's, after examining my life and, and just kind of looking around at society, here's a couple observations that I've, that I've concluded. Number one, everybody cares. We all deeply care about this. There are very few people here today that would actually raise their hand and say, I do not care about the poor and marginalized. Nobody would say that. We all care. And that's exactly what our hearts should feel, heartbroken. But secondly, although we care, I have found it, at least in my own life, it is so easy to live oblivious on a day-to-day basis to the needs of these people who are living in such destitute poverty. It's, can we be honest? It is, it's so easy in our country to do that. It really is. And because it's easy to do that, I think sometimes people think they can't make a difference. It'll just always be there. I can't make a difference. I'm just going to keep living my life. But let me tell you a little story because I don't think that that's true. Many of you know Stacy Wilson. There's going to be a picture of her on the screen. There she is. She, um, she's actually our executive director for missional engagement here uh, at Community of Hope. She's wonderful. Many of you know her. And she's actually right there. Stacy. Hey. <laughs> she probably didn't want me to call her out, but I love her so much. Tom actually called you out. He pointed at you. <laughs> so Stacy actually, uh, she leads our food distribution on, uh, on a monthly basis on all of our campuses. You might know that detail already. What you might not know is her story. And how she got there. And so as, as she and I were talking, she was sharing that she actually got into this ministry because she was, she was taking care of her mother and she was noticing how difficult it was for elderly people to afford food, living expenses, uh, rent and all that stuff, their, their prescriptions and their medications. And she set off to just make a difference with this community. In this moment. And so um, she was attending a different church at the time and she started a small food pantry there and she started by feeding just 12 families. I'm gonna repeat that again 12 families. And eventually the Lord called her to Community of Hope and during that transition, actually the food pantry ended up at 
her home on her her property, and she was just sharing some recollection of that. They would have to pack all the food up and in their in the on their property and send it off in a in a pickup truck. And she recounts just the joys and also the struggles of those moments and how the Lord was was faithful to provide for those families. But to make just a long story short, what started with just twelve families eventually grew to the ministry that she leads today at our church. And if you don't know the details and really the specifics of that, let me enlighten you. Um, do you know that we help a thousand people on average, a thousand families really, on average per month between all of our campus? A thousand families. Yeah. That's something that, yep. Did you know, it gets better. Did you know that between March and December of 2020, when the pandemic hit and many people lost their jobs, we helped over 100,000 individuals in, those, in the span of that month alone. Over 100,000 individuals. This is where the 12 families part becomes important. She started by feeding just 12 families. And literally two years ago, we fed 100,000 individuals. But it started with that desire. Just that one desire, I'm going to feed this one family. I'm going to go and step into this one need. And you see, no matter how small the contribution that you think you might be making today, God can use that. And he can grow that for his glory in everything that he does. And it'll bring him joy. And so here, what can we do? Right? What can we do today? Well, firstly, check your blind spot. Check your blind spot. Is this an issue that... We haven't given attention to. Maybe you haven't given attention to in the maybe the, the past season of your life. And it's not a, I'm not I'm not asking this in a pointing the finger kind of judgment moment. I'm actually saying Jesus wants us to get better. He wants us to care for our world. And that's the heart behind it. He wants us to be more like him, care for our world. It's about forming our hearts to the heart of Jesus. So with that, would you just pray with me? as we close our service. Lord Jesus, we just come before you in awe of your compassion. Lord, you not only care for us spiritually, you died on the cross for our sins, but Lord, you, when you were here, you healed the sick. You fed thousands of people in one sitting. Lord, we thank you for caring about our physical needs as well. And so in this moment, would you, um, would you just help us draw our hearts closer to yours and in turn, closer to the least of these? Lord, would you build it within our hearts Lord, to be willing to share, to be willing to love our neighbor, to be willing to give, to feed those who need food, to clothe, to invite the stranger in. Lord Jesus, we understand that this is challenging. This is not easy. And if we're honest, many of us have struggled with this. But Lord Jesus, we, we lay it at your feet knowing that you're not here as a condemning judge, but you're here as a loving father inviting us, Lord, into a much better reality of your kingdom. And so we ask you that you would help us to grow our hearts closer to you and the least of these. We ask this in the name of Jesus.
Amen.